Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. So as Pastor Katrina said, if, um, if you missed at the top of the worship service or the emails or anything, just for those of you who may be tuning in uh, later in the week on our website or listening to the podcast in your car, uh, the content that's coming, um, we are going to talk about romantic physical love. Um, in a way that I am going to use terms like romantic and physical love, and most of us know what I'm talking about. But for those who maybe don't and are not ready for that, uh, we do want to invite you. There's a mission uh, opportunity um, and fun opportunity with kids um, out in the hallway and back in the kids' worship room. And if you're in the car listening to the podcast and you want to switch to something else until your kids are not there, um, just want to give you that opportunity right now. So I'm going to invite the Christian Compton to come and read our scripture. So our scripture today comes from the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is perfume poured out. Therefore the maidens love you. Draw me after you. Let us make haste. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. So just to pick on Lucretia, she was very generous today and texted me um, unknowingly saying, if you don't have anybody to read scripture today, I will be happy to do it. And so I looked at the worship order and realized we didn't have anybody actually down. It said still looking on there. And so I went to Lucretia and said, I'd love for you to read scripture today. And she said, great, what is it? And I said, Song of Solomon. And she goes, oh. Um, so I'm, I'm, just, by a curi- I'm just curious, who has read through the entirety of Song of Solomon before? Okay, so contemporary crowd beats out the traditional crowd. Um, I, when I was up in Kansas, I was serving as like youth, young adult um, pastor while Lindsay was doing grad school and a church up in Topeka. And... Um, they, the senior pastor said, you know, you're not going to be working with youth and young adults forever. You're probably going to be working with the entire church. So it would be a good idea for you to gain experience by leading a, a group for adults. So, um, so I didn't have to, I had a lot of things going on at night. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do this afternoon Bible study or this noontime Bible study. And when you do a Bible study in the middle of the day, it is generally people who are retired who can make that Bible study or perhaps not working at the time. So um, it was me and mostly people in their 70s. And just, you know, we were doing Beatitudes, Love Your Neighbor. I mean, all the general stories of the, of the Gospels. And this woman came up to me afterward, after about five or six weeks, and said, you know, I've been doing Bible study all my life. And we do the same stories over and over. I want somebody who's going to introduce me to the entire Bible. And I said, are you sure? Because uh, there's violence and there's politics and and she goes, no, 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 this is the inspired word of God. You know, Timothy says that all scripture is good for reproof and teaching. I want to know the entirety of the scripture. And I said, have you ever read Song of Solomon before? And she goes, no, what's that? 
Uh, and she's, then she goes, can we do it next week? <laughs> I said, you get what you ask for. So we did Song of Solomon the very next week. If you're not familiar with Song of Solomon, it is in the wisdom literature. It's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. It is this story, this poetic uh, romantic poetry of two lovers just passionately pursuing each other that uh, made its way into the canon of scripture because people assumed or they thought this was like an allegory for uh, Christ's love for the church or back as it is in the Hebrew Bible, God's love for Israel. Uh, and as we read through it in that study, if you read through it, it's very clear that that is not the case of what it is. And so we got done with that week and she comes up after me, kind of meek, afterward kind of meekly, and just says, you know, we don't have to do the whole Bible. Um, we can leave some parts out. Um, but, I, but I think it's a shame. We, uh, we do tend to stick with a lot of safe scriptures. Um, we don't always dig into why there's violence. We don't always dig into the politics of the Bible. We don't always dig into the love aspects in, in totality of the Bible, which I think is a shame because if you have not written your Valentine's Day card, Song of Solomon offers some really wonderful um, advice or some lyrics that you can use. And most of us, if we've been to James Avery at all, we've heard, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. This is the one thing that anybody knows about Song of Solomon, but let's spice it up a little bit. If you have a significant lady in your life, you might try. Your hair is like a flock of goats as they stream down from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes as they come up from the washing pool, all of them perfectly matched. Not one of them lacks its twin. Like a slice of pomegranate is the curve of your face behind the veil of your hair. It's good stuff, right? Now, if you want to make your special woman feel like one in 140, go deeper into chapter 6. There are maybe 60 queens. and 80 secondary wives, young women beyond counting, but my dove, my perfect one, is one of a kind. And there's nothing, I, I don't know a lot about women, but I know that out of 140 wives, being the special one will melt her heart. <laughs> and men, we don't want to leave you out. His eyes are like doves by channels of water. They are bathing in milk, sitting by brimming pools. His cheeks are like fragrant plantings, towers of spices. His lips are lilies dripping Li like liquid myrrh, which is always what I've wanted my wife to tell me. His arms are gold cylinders studded with jewels. His belly is smooth ivory encrusted with sapphires. His thighs are pillars of whitest stone set on pedestals of gold. You really think this is between God and the church here? His appearance like Lebanon, stately like the cedars. And none of this is going to work, right? If you're telling uh, a romantic interest on your first date any of this, there's not going to be a second date. <laughs> Because this is language from 3rd century B.C. Hebrew. And then we look at the 1st century Greek that we're going to talk about as well. These languages are different. They have different metaphors and they have different ways of expressing themselves in that culture. But by looking at these ancient languages and the way they talk about love, it does um, it, it helps us to engage with how God wants us to love specifically in the three ways of love. So in Greek, there are three terms of love. There is eros love, eros love, which is that passionate romantic love, affectionate love. There is phylos, which is the familial friendly love. And then there is agape, which is that undying unconditional love that we talk about as the perfect example of love that God gives to us. And so just an example of our limited language, let's just go to Valentine's dinner. 
tomorrow night. Let's say your girlfriend, your wife, gives you the perfect gift. Let's just say it's soccer tickets, right? So you get these soccer tickets, and the guy says, oh my gosh, I love these. And then the next reaction is looking and saying, I love you. And the age-old question is, which one does he love the most? Right? Because we have the same word for I love you as we do for I love pizza or I love tacos. And, and so it's very limiting. I think we can learn a little bit by parsing out the different ways we love. And I think what I hope we will find is that the love, like the romantic love, is really meant to lead us into the unconditional love. You can't separate the loves, but it is important to know which one we are engaging in and which one we are talking about so we can love like God wants us to love. And so let's look at the last line that we read in our scripture, Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 4, and uh, it says, we will exalt and rejoice in you. We will exult, extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. But when you look at the different versions of love in Hebrew, and I don't speak Hebrew very well or at all, but extol your love more than wine, the, the word that makes that loving phrase is didik. And um, if you look after that, and so Didik is talking about affection. It is, we will extol your affection, your touch. This very, uh, this is a young woman who is passionately pursuing the touch of this young man. And then the very next line, rightly do they love you. Again, English, same word love, but the Hebrew is ebuk. And ebuk is um, beloved figure. And the only reason I show you this, or tell you this, is to show you that um, when we look at the Bible, and especially when we come to church, we generally only talk about love as this kind of emotional, spiritual connection between two people, the agape, the philia, love. And in the Bible, in one sentence in the Bible, we have the distinction between this beloved person that we feel connected to, but also this endorsement and recognition that part of that love is affection. It is the way that we touch each other, the way that we talk to each other, the way that we speak each other's love languages is in here. And the church has done a pretty terrible job over the centuries of acknowledging this physical form of love that is important in God's design for relationships. Uh, and I blame a lot of that on a fourth century bishop from Carthage in uh, northern Africa named Augustine. Uh, Augustine wrote a book called Confessions, which is his autobiography. And in it, he details at length his promiscuity in his younger years, where he would go from woman to woman, and sometimes married women, and just all sorts of different scenarios and situations. And there's something physiological that happens when you engage physically with somebody, whether it's a touch of a hand or even more. Um, when you are attracted, when you have that kind of physical love with somebody, there are multiple different hormones and chemicals that get released in your body, um, two of those being um, oxytocin and dopamine. And these not only bring you a sense of calm, they not only bring you a sense of pleasure, but they are the two emotion, uh, emotionally connecting hormones that get released in your body. And so when you engage physically with somebody, oxytocin and, and dopamine uh, just swarm into your body and you have no choice but to trust that person, to be connected to that person. And so as Augustine is going around from woman to woman, He's seeking purpose in the pleasure. He's hedonistic in a way, but with every pursuit, he is, can't help but be connected to that person. And even when he tries to disassociate, he's leaving a bit of his spirit, a little bit of his soul uh, with each person. And you can imagine as he goes through a whole litany of decade, a decade of this, how you might feel empty at the end if you've left so much of yourself behind throughout the years without that committed agape love 
that says, I'm always going to be here to help fulfill you, and I'm always going to be here to help support you. And so Augustine, as he becomes empty, ends up finding Christ, and, and this fills him up. And so a lot of us, when we find Christ or when we enter into a good experience, we tend to um, only look through the, only have a worldview that, that takes our experience into account. And so Augustine, as he's coming into Christ and making meaning out of his past life of hedonism and, and promiscuity, he looks at that and he says, you know, the only reason that this was the cause of all of my sin, and it was because I engaged in passion as opposed to uh, logic or just, uh, or, uh, so he, he starts to name all passion as sin. He even gets to the point where he says that the baby-making process is how original sin is passed from one generation to the next. And so you can see why a whole century's worth of Christians started to look at anything passionate as negative as they followed this very influential spiritual leader and how even the uh, act of procreation was something that we didn't want to talk about in church as some, because this is what brings original sin into the life. So some, on one hand, right, kids are a blessing. And on the other hand, the process of making children is what brings curse into the world, which you can see. And, and so the church has failed in this level. There's, you know, programs like 10 Great Dates that has been out there for a little while, and if you lived through church in the 90s, you had True Love Waits and the, and the purity rings and everything like that, and it actually ended up doing more damage in our language around relationships than it did help, even though the intent um, was right. And, and, you know, Augustine's not totally wrong, because we do talk about these, yeah, so eros, the Greek word for this romantic love, actually comes from the Greek god, of this romantic love. It was Eros, and that became the Roman god of Cupid, associated with Valentine's Day, and these gods were known as mischievous gods, and they would go and they would fire their little love arrows at people, causing them to fall wildly infatuated with the person they were with, and it usually, if you even go into Shakespearean language, these star-crossed lovers who um, would just don't, don't fit with each other, and all sorts of uh, bad things would happen, and you know, family squabbles or, or whatever. And so this, these acts of passions became this very negative thing that we started to, you know, it started to be classified as, as dirty or taboo, and, and some for good reason, right? There are, there are enough warnings in Scripture, there's enough experience in life where we can look around and say, we have not treated our bodies, we have not treated the way we use our bodies, we have not treated the gift of physical love with the respect that God has for it. But just because we have sullied it doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's dirty or doesn't mean it's something that God didn't design because the same reason it's risky is the same reason that it is a blessing. All right, so let's go back to that Valentine's dinner where we're exchanging, where we're exchanging gifts and, and one person reaches over and touches the other person's hand. Right? And, and, and if you're married for 75 years, it's still like a little bit of adrenaline just shoots through you. And it's this pleasurable act of trust that you allow somebody to touch you. That is a great act of trust, that you are attracted to them, that you allow them to touch you. And, and with that trust comes a whole new range, like a whole new release of the oxytocin and the dopamine, which builds more trust. And so attraction leads to trust. And, and what I've been saying is trust is sexy, and then that physical love that comes from the attraction bends more trust. And this is why the design is for committed relationships. This is why the design is uh, for marriage. And, and Song of Solomon is not the first time that 
physical love comes in the Bible. We tend to say that Song of Solomon is the only time in the Bible that physical love is talked about, but you can go back to Genesis 2.24 and it talks about this, these two people who were created for each other and they leave their families and they cleave together and they become one flesh. And I can promise you that become one flesh is not a spiritual metaphor at all. And if you go later into, uh, I believe it's in Proverbs 51, or Proverbs 5, 18 through 19, literally tells these young people to enjoy each other. Not from just a procreation standpoint. I believe it is part of God's design for relationship that we are to enjoy each other, not simply for procreation of the species, but we are to enjoy each other because enjoying each other builds that cycle of trust. And if there's one thing that we are to encounter in the love of agape that God gives for us, it is fidelity, it is commitment, it is trust, it is knowing that our friends, our family, our loved ones are going to be there just like God is for us. And there is a certain level of trust, there is a great level of trust that gets built by the attractive physical love that releases all of these chemicals that allow us to trust each other. But you can see the risk, you can see the danger if that's shared in a non-trusting way. And those who have been hurt by physical love when they had their heart broken, you can see how your worldview gets skewed because your trust was broken. And so the Bible calls us into, God calls us into um, committed relationships of trust. But not committed relationships of trust that are supposed to be stoic and bland, but committed relationships of trust that reach the 50 years right, of celebratory marriage where you can still look across the bed and see somebody that you can't believe that you're blessed by. But I also want to transition, right, and so Eros literally talks about passionate romantic love, and that is not something that is outside of a Christian life. In fact, part of a Christian life, I believe, to build up the trust is to have, is to let your partner notice, uh, know that you notice them, in a way that is affectionate, and in a way that builds trust, in a way that releases those chemicals that need to be released, in a way that connects spiritually so that then you want to pursue even more in agreed-upon, safe, healthy relationships. Let me say that. But I want to end by also saying that even though we've been talking about passionate, romantic, physical acts of love, that um, while we are called to love our partner passionately, we are called to passionately love everyone around us. And there are people who, through various life situations, um, when it comes to Valentine's Day tomorrow, as Carolyn so expertly prayed about, um, are not going to have that physical touch in the way that maybe they hoped for or the way that they haven't experienced yet. And some people may never get married, right? And that's their choice, and that's a, it's a wonderful choice. Sometimes it's a gift for people. And so I want to also encourage us when we're thinking about how we use our bodies to express love, is that there are, are people who need that touch. Humans need touch. And it doesn't have to always be romantic. It can be, simply be passionate. And I'll give you two examples real fast. Is one, there was a, um, a person who, uh, who, who comes to this church, and, and I'm not going to name names, but they would um, come through the back of the, you know, I'd be back greeting at the back of church, and they are one of those people that has like an awkwardly long handshake. If you know any of those people, that they kind of hold on to your hand for just a little bit too long, you might be one of those people. Um, you can ask me afterward. I'll tell you the truth. And um, so, you know, just holding on to my hand just a little too long for my comfort level. And, and then I, you know, the, the next week they came through and they kind of did it again. The third week it was a little bit longer because I would engage with it and I would sit there and, you know, talk with them while they were sitting there shaking my hand for, you know, three or four minutes. Um, and then... 
uh, one day, uh, you know, a few weeks into this, it you know became kind of this. I'm going to patch on the I'm going to patch on the back, and, and this person testing whether or not I was okay with that. And then it just became full out hugs when I realized that this person um, was just an affectionate uh, touch person. Um, but what I learned about this person's life is that they are widowed, have been for some time, and so all week long they live on their own, and they don't get touch that some of us, you know, may find annoying at our homes sometimes because we're around, but they needed someone to reach out. And even at our 20th birthday gala on Friday, a man who just lost his spouse, his wife, um, was out on the dance floor with, you know, a couple people uh, just having a good time. And he had asked, um, you know, actually one of our former staff members for dance. And so they were out there boot scooting to whatever. And um, he just looked at these three people who were dancing with him and and said, I really needed this. I really needed someone to take my hand tonight and, and show me that I'm loved. Right? So even though we started off talking about this romantic physical love that we are passionately to share with a committed, healthy relationship, within a committed, healthy relationship, we're also called to passionately love those people who need us to touch their lives in a way that they don't receive, I guess, enough of in the world. And so I want to encourage us to do something right now. We're going to have a practice that all of the germaphobes and introverts are going to hate. Um, but it is, a, uh, it is an ancient practice of the church. It's called the passing of the peace. And uh, generally during like a really traditional communion liturgy, there's this time where you pass the peace and you go and, you, and, and we say, offer signs of peace to one another. And so it would be um, back in 1 Corinthians, they said, give each other a holy kiss. I will not ask you to do that. Um, but I will ask you to give a holy handshake or a holy high five or a holy fist bump or a holy hug right to somebody right now. So I want to invite you to stand up um, and I want you to, to those around you or just for a little bit, that we are getting out early today. Um, I want you to, so Give signs of peace. Tell somebody, peace be with you. Give them, touch their hand. Give them a fist bump. If you don't want to be touched, just hold your hand up like this and let somebody, you know, do this. All right, there's going to be more time afterward because I know once I set y'all loose on each other, it will not stop. So you can go ahead and have a seat. And I just want to point out, like, right, when we celebrate big things, you can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, when we celebrate big things, right, when we celebrate big victories in our life, we don't like, hey, good job, right? We go give big hugs. With a committed, trusted person, we give them a kiss to celebrate. Right? We are called, our bodies are great things. And our bodies are called to uh, celebrate and enjoy in uh, both romantic, passionate ways as well as passionate for each other ways, in healthy, friendly ways. And so let us go into the world recognizing the goodness of who we are created to be, who what our bodies are able to do, the way that we are able to love people through our hands, our smiles, and what our bodies can do. And give thanks to God as we passionately pursue each other in the healthiest way possible. So let's pray. Gracious God, as we pass peace, with our bodies. Maybe it is the handshake or hug that a friend has needed. Maybe it is the way that our hands have built a house for those in need. Maybe it is the body that we give to our partner. 
to enjoy and build trust so that they might know that they are loved and loved well and ultimately loved by you. God, we thank you for this cycle of trust that builds up and we ask that we would continue to not be afraid of each other, but that we would break down barriers in healthy, comfortable, agreed upon ways so that even, so that no one might be lonely, so that no one might be forgotten, so that everyone feels noticed and everyone knows they're loved. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.